Carl Koppelman was an accountant by both education and trade. However, through an unfortunate series of events, he found himself with a lot of time on his hands. What did he do with it? He became one of the foremost forensic artists in the United States, changing more lives than he ever could have imagined. You hear his story today. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. As all of you know, I like to switch things up once in a while on Unfound. It's not always about cases on this program. I guess some examples of that might be having Tad Tobias on to talk about no-body cases. I had my friend Megan Good on the program to talk about her site, charlieproject.org, and how she became interested in missing persons cases. You also remember Gary Jenkins, a good guy who hosts the Gangland Wire podcast. He came on to talk about mafia disappearances. I do this because I want to be able to give the listeners a total three-dimensional view of the missing persons community in the United States. And to me, that means featuring people who are working behind the scenes, who haven't lost anybody, have not lost a brother, a sister, a, a son or daughter, or a parent, but just have gotten into it because it is their passion. They want to change people's lives. Today is one of those episodes. Also, anytime I have a chance to feature a regular person out there who has solved cases, I'm going to do it. You know I have a firm belief that cases can be solved by just regular people. Teachers, engineers, truck drivers, with the internet these days, the ability to network and crowdsource, regular people can do this. And so for today's episode, we have Carl Koppelman. At one point, he was just a mild-mannered accountant who is now getting calls at 4 a.m. to do interviews with big media companies because of the way he's affected people's lives. To me, this is way more impressive than winning American Idol or The Price is Right or whatever else. All that is is about money and fame, stuff that is fleeting in life. Whereas Carl is dealing in real-life issues of death, murder, rape, the worst that the earth has to offer, and he is getting real answers for families. How does he do that? Using his artistic abilities, he brings unidentified dead people back to life. And he's so good at it that some of his pictures have resulted in cases being solved. You'll hear my in-depth interview with him in just a few minutes. But first, the unfound housekeeping items. You can find this podcast on Twitter, at Unfound Podcast. In fact, you'll be noticing some changes there starting this week. You can email the program, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. You can find the program on Podomatic and iTunes. And I would appreciate it if you think the show deserves it. Please give it a five-star review at iTunes. You can find this program on Facebook. It's the Unfound Discussion Group. It's a private group right now. And come join the conversation, although I will tell you that 
we will be starting a public Facebook page very shortly. And please tell your friends and family about the program and mention the show if you frequent places like WebSleuths, Reddit, the page podcast we listen to on Facebook, and any other true crime forums and websites. And now, unfound news. Several changes are coming to the program, although I can assure you, the format of the program is not changing. You're going to notice changes on my Twitter feed. You're going to notice that an additional Facebook page is going to be created. It's going to be a public page. The private discussion group will continue, and I hope it continues to get members week after week as it's been doing. However, we're going to have a new Instagram account, and we're going to have a new logo. We're going to start from scratch with it. It's going to be something that I can copyright. Also, I'm in the process of covering a case that has to do with a person other than an American citizen who disappeared in another country. That'll be a first for Unfound. In fact, this case is the most well-known disappearance case in this particular country. I have a listener who is helping me with all of this, and I can't thank her enough. Finally, in a few weeks, I'm also going to get to meet the parent of a missing person for the first time. The meeting will happen right here in Florida, and it's a case where the authorities have dismissed the disappearance as an accident. Needless to say, the parents and myself aren't so sure. Before we get into the interview for this episode, I need to really thank Kathy Turkanian. If the name sounds familiar, she was a guest on this program back in November, November 2016, where she talked about the disappearance of her biological daughter, Alexis, also known as Andrea. She disappeared in 1989. Kathy knows Carl very well, and she put me in contact with him. Kathy, I can't thank you enough. I now present to you my interview with Carl Koppelman. I'm so happy to have on this episode of Unfound. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The guy who draws dead people, Carl Koppelman. Carl, welcome to the show. Uh, Hi, I'm glad to be on your show. Carl, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and who you were and then how you eventually all got into this artistic ability and what you're doing to help solve missing persons cases. How did that all happen? Okay, well, my, my career, uh, since I got out of college in the early 90s, I, was a, I studied accounting, and I'm, uh, I'm a CPA, so I, I was working as an accountant uh, uh, since, uh, since the early 90s. I worked uh, at uh, the L.A. County Municipal Court for five years, and then I went to Princess Cruises for five years. Uh, I worked at Disney for about a year and a half, mm-hmm. and when I was uh, laid off at Disney, I 
uh, that was during the you know the financial crisis, and there mm-hmm. weren't a whole lot of jobs at the time. And it happened that my mother was her her condition was becoming very frail, and I um, she's 94 years old now, but you know this was back in uh, 2009. Mm-hmm. Uh, she needed somebody around the house full time to to take care of her, and the only other option was to put her in assisted living, and we weren't going to do that. Right. So. So I, uh, you know, my siblings and I all, we all agreed that, you know, I'll just become the, the full-time caretaker. So that left me at home uh, with quite a bit, <laughs> with quite a bit of uh, spare time. Mm-hmm. You know, there's quite a bit of time that she's either sleeping or doesn't need me at the, you know, at that particular moment. So yeah. I'm in front of my computer quite a bit. And, uh, this was back in uh, August of 2009. Well, do you have a, an artistic background? You, you're an accountant. You're officially accountant. That was your job. I guess that's what you went to school for. But where does this artistic background come from? Well, I, I've always had facial drawing skills. This, this goes back to when I was in high school. I, I'd sit in high school, and if there was a boring lecture from you know one of the high school teachers, mm-hmm. I, I'd be sitting in the class, uh, you know, drawing caricatures of the students, drawing caricatures of the teachers. I mean, I, I just used to like to doodle and draw, and I had a very good aptitude for drawing faces. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was never anything that I had, you know, intended to do professionally. Uh, I, mm-hmm. you know, eventually became an accountant, but and, and most of my adult life I didn't do any drawing at all. But uh, as I got into this uh, this new uh, you know, world of missing and unidentified, mm-hmm. I found that my facial drawing skills had uh, quite a good applicability to, did to they, this uh, topic. Did they come back pretty quick? You say you didn't draw for a long time, once again, because you were an accountant. Did those abilities and skills come back to you pretty quick? or How, how is that? Well, is it like riding a bike or not? <laughs> yeah, I guess in, in some sense, but the, the real challenge was trying to learn how to use the software. Oh, okay. you know, everything I was doing was on computers. So when I mm. started, you know, the... I was on Web Sleuth, mm-hmm. and um, I mean, I, I never got to that part, but uh, I was on Web Sleuth, and I uh, was looking at this one case. Uh, it involved a guy who had gone into an abandoned uh, abandoned hotel in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a man who was wearing a Philadelphia Eagles jersey. Uh, he went in there to uh, scavenge, uh, you know, metal and, you know, scrap metal. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, he got in there, and he stepped on something, cut his foot, and bled to death. And so oh they found this man's body inside this abandoned hotel. And there was a coroner's photo of him. His you know, face, he wasn't de- decomposed at all. He was just, a, you know, a, a man who was, you know, his mouth was open a little bit. And, and, but otherwise, it was a, uh, you know, pretty, just looked like a man sleeping. Okay. And so I, I took the photo, and... Uh, Drew eyes in there, and you know, I. Well, first of all, I, I had looked at the the forensic drawing that they had officially the official forensic drawing of mm. this guy, and it didn't look anything like him. Mm. I, I you know I was looking at that and thinking, well, gosh, this, you know he's got this corner photo and he got this drawing and they don't look like the same person. So I uh, I decided, okay, I, I have drawing skills. So let's see if I can pull this up on. Uh, Corel photo paint and, and alter it and make it look like a living person. And so I, mm. I put eyes on him and I 
I, uh, you know, straightened out his mouth using, you know, kind of cutting and pasting in, in the image and straightened his mouth out and smoothed things out a little bit and put a Philadelphia Eagles jersey on him mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, and just put it up there on web sleuths and, you know, it was just like, okay, you know, how about this? This, this looks much better than, right, what? than the official uh, police drawing that they put out. And I didn't really think much of it until a, a few days later there was a woman who ran a website uh, for, Phil, or for, uh, for Pennsylvania Missing Persons. She has a website that's mm-hmm. dedicated to Pennsylvania Missing Persons. And she said, you know, I like that drawing you did. Can I put it on my site? And I said, yeah, sure. Wow. I bet you must have been really surprised. You must have been really surprised by that, right? So quickly. Well, yeah, I was kind of surprised. It's like, oh, okay, this, yeah. you know, people like what I'm doing. And then a couple of days later, I noticed that that she had, she was a volunteer for uh, Doe Network, and mm. so she had put it on Donor Network as well. So I, I thought, oh, you know, this is kind of this is getting big. Cool yeah, drawings on Doe Network. So, yeah, it's getting big. Um, and you know, when I first initially started doing this, I didn't really have the, a good handle on the, using the software. I didn't, I don't know, I, I hadn't used Corel Photo Paint that much, so I didn't, mm-hmm. you know, have any techniques and, and all that developed. Right. And so, uh, so over the years, as I kept doing these, well, first of all, Doe Network started asking me to do additional ones. Hmm. And as I said, the, the first few were kind of crude and they didn't, you know, I, I didn't have all the tools and techniques yet developed, so you know they they weren't that good at first. But as I kept doing these, you know, more and more, I developed techniques and started. Mm-hmm. They started getting better. Mm-hmm. The quality of the images. So you had uh, an interest in missing persons cases and unidentified bodies before you got into this. Like, it, was that something interest you always had as well? Well, yeah. Go well. Going yeah. Going back to. You know, uh, the 2009, I was, yeah, I, I've always had a uh, kind of an interest in unsolved mysteries and, uh, you know, true crime. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's various stories, uh, you know, over the years that it kind of caught my attention and that I paid attention, that I followed these, you know, crime stories, mm-hmm. you know, whether it be, uh, you know, Ted Bundy or whether it be, you know, all these various uh, crime stories that, mm-hmm. that have been on the news over the years. Uh, Lawrence Bittaker uh, and Roy Norris were a couple of serial murderers who operated right in my neighborhood, or you know, in the, the adjacent cities uh, to where I live. So mm-hmm. you know, I followed those cases, and you know, so so when 2009, when I was you know sitting home at home and having to care for my mother, yeah, this J.C. Dugard story came up. Oh, okay. Uh, I sure. happen to remember it was uh, the day Ted Kennedy passed away. Oh. Uh, I was just on, on the on the uh, I was on the internet just reading the news about Ted Kennedy's death, and, mm-hmm. and you know a story right right there on the Huffington Post was uh, you know a a girl missing 18 years since she was 11 years old walks into uh, a probation office and you know along with her captors and you know she's now 29 years old and I thought wow this is amazing. And I started following that story, and and at the time they didn't have any photos of JC in current in the current day. They were keeping that under wraps. They didn't want anybody to know what she looked like mm-hmm. now. And so I was kind of scrambling all over the internet trying to find photos. I was very curious what she looked like, 
and I was going through all these different stories about, you know, about the initial kidnapping and seeing, you know, news, news press, um, you know, press events with, with her mother on the, you know, standing in front of the, uh, the El Dorado County Sheriff's Office with this big oversized teddy bear in her arms and mm-hmm. crying her eyes out and, you know, saying, please, mm-hmm. you know, bring my, let my daughter go home. And I mean, it was, mm-hmm. uh, it, it very touched me quite. Yeah, but quite a yeah, bit. I remember and that too. Yeah, had, had quite an effect on me. And so, sure, you know, and and the thought that 18 years later this woman could be sitting in her office at, at her job and get a telephone call from the El Dorado County Sheriff saying, "Oh, Jaycee's sitting here with me. You want to talk to her?" That's <laughs> amazing. Yeah, it's like, amazing. It's yeah, yeah it's, it's, amazing. it's crazy I, amazing. Yes, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall to see. Yeah. you know, her reaction that you know this woman's been suffering for 18 years and. And uh, yeah. then all of a sudden she gets this phone call and, you know, here mm-hmm. she is. She, you, can say, you can talk to her right. again. So, uh, Did you, uh, you know, she was gone for all that time. Did I mean, now that you draw these people, do you look, did they do drawings of, of J.C. while she was gone? Well, yeah, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children did yeah. a uh, uh, um, age progression of her. And, mm-hmm. you know, you can, you know, people can see for themselves whether... You know whether they, you know, did a, a good job. It, what's your well? You're the one reason. being interviewed here. What do you think? How do you yeah. think that they did over those years oh, of drawing? It, it was reasonably close. I, I, okay. You know, I'm not going to be critical of it, but you know. Okay. You, you, but uh, but I, you know, as I was following this story, I, that's when I came across WebSleuth because mm-hmm. as for googling the name J.C. Goodugard, there was a lot of discussion of her case over the years, long before she was uh, found alive that yeah. they were discussing her case on WebSleuth. And there was this, this story about a girl, they called her Maricopa Jane Doe. This was a 1999 case of a, of a young girl, teenage girl, going down the highway in, in, uh, near, near the Phoenix area. Mm-hmm. Uh, jumped, or jumped out of the car or either fell out of the car or something, but she was going highway speed like 70 miles an hour and exited the vehicle at, at 70 miles an hour and was killed on the highway. Oh, no. And 10 years, they didn't know who she was. She was, uh, and she was, uh, you know, a Jane Doe for, mm-hmm. for nearly a decade. Mm-hmm. And the Web Sleuth people were ju- discussing J.C. Dugard as a possible identity of this Jane Doe. It, mm-hmm. As, of course, we know now it, it, it wasn't. wasn't. But yeah. they, they eventually did find out who she was because her brother, the, the girl, the dead girl's brother, found the discussion on WebSleuth and said, that might be my sister. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I was amazed that you had thousands of people, uh, you know, following the story and trying to figure out who this girl was. Yeah. As it turned out, the girl's name was Tawny Lee Mazzoni. She mm-hmm. was 16 years old mm-hmm. when she died. And, uh, you know, they eventually did figure out who she was, but, Took some but I time. was very intrigued at the idea that people could sit there in front of their computers and solve missing person cases. Yeah, I, and I, and yeah. There were a lot of, lot of resources uh, dedicated to that effort. Now you have no network, you have NamUs, you mm. have uh, several missing person sites. Yeah. And, you know, people from all walks of life can sit in front of their computer and, you know, mm. and brainstorm these things. It's, uh, it's really amazing. And so, yeah. Since then, that's kind of been, you know, 
there were a few other cases as well that had been solved by mm. by web sleuths members or by people in the internet community. Right. And I thought, okay, you know, this is I, over the years I've gotten more and more involved in it. And yeah, you've learned. You, you use not just your interests, but these inherent talents you have. You've com- combined them, which not a lot of people right. have done. You, you, it makes yourself very unique, and you've been, you know, what I would say, you know, very successful at this. What is your process? Like, when you get a picture, what do you do first? How do you analyze it as an artist? If you can explain well, it to all of us people who do stick figures. I mean, for a lot of these cases, there are postmortem photos available, and yeah. you really don't want to put those postmortem photos out there on your Facebook page. No. People won't want to share them. They're, yeah. You know, some of them are fairly disturbing. So, yeah. Um, so, you know, yeah, I, I'm just... You know, be, I'm just aware of all the the various photos that are out mm-hmm. there, and I just decide, okay, I want to do this one, I want to do that one. There's no real process. Mm-hmm. I'm norm- I'm usually more interested in the ones involving young people, but mm-hmm. you know, I uh, I do people of all ages or all races or you know all uh, you yeah. know backgrounds. That, you know, I have a few of people who seem to be homeless, and you know, it's but but my general focus is if there's a post-mortem photo available of a young person mm-hmm. uh you know i i'm more interested in that just because if, if you're young you generally have family that's looking, looking for, for you there. sure <laughs> so, sure you know that's that's been my maybe bias i guess you could say but do you uh looking at these photos does it ever get any easier for you because you, you get to see photos probably a lot of us, you know, regular people, I guess, don't get to see. Do you ever get used yeah. to the seeing some of those? I, like you said, some of well, them can be pretty, you know, pretty bad. Yeah, some of them are pretty bad. And some, some of them are look, just look like the person's asleep. The others where you have decomposition, mm-hmm. uh, they, they can be quite disturbing. I just wonder, I can't imagine, I, I know the... You know, you want you're being helpful. You're using your skills. Obviously, you've been successful. But I'm, I'm imagining that seeing those pictures has to be the toughest part. But, yeah. You know, I've I've learned with the techniques I've learned. I think I've done a reasonably good job of you know trying to uh, mm. trying to present them as as they might look you know before they died. So. Do you start on the eyes first, or do you start on the hair? Where do, where do you usually start with a, a particular picture? Does it does, does it uh, depend? I guess yeah, it all depends. I probably start with the eyes first. I, I you know part of my process I I use photos of living people mm-hmm. because generally when a, you know when you have a deceased face, a lifeless face, you, the muscles are all flattened and relaxed. There's no uh, there's no smile lines. There's mm-hmm. uh, the face sags. Uh, often so and and the skin tone is the skin tone and muscle tone is you know not not as it would be when they were alive so you mm-hmm. have to use uh i i use photos of living people and kind of overlay them and and uh create a transparency of the of the living photo and then it kind of has the effect of bringing out the life in the face while leaving all the all the structural lines intact so Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's a little difficult to explain, you know, without showing sure, it's on tough, the screen, right? But, I understand. Uh, it, uh, yeah, but 
yeah, I, 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 I use these photos of living people, and then you, then you end up with uh, just having to fine-tune it by drawing in, you know. Mm-hmm. There, there's certainly a, a shape of their, you know, their their facial mm. structure. There's certain a little. Well, I guess maybe what you're saying is there's certain a little bit of artistic interpretation that goes into it. Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. It so, just you just kind of have yeah, to I mean, go with your gut on on certain things sometimes. Yeah, but the the photo of the living person, you know, when you're done, if you've done it right, you the photo doesn't look like the living person that you mm-hmm. used to, uh, you know, the, to create the life, to put the life back into the, the image, but, mm-hmm. you know, it should retain all the structural uh, integrity of the of the original uh, post-mortem photo, but, but the life and, and muscle tone and skin tone and all that stuff comes through from the, from the photo of the living person. Where do you get the photo of the living person from? Oh, I get them from all over the internet. If I'm browsing the internet mm-hmm. and I find a good, real clear per- photo of, of Anybody, you know, if it's, mm. you know, has a real good high high resolution photo of somebody, I'll put, I'll save it in a directory, and I probably have, you know, several hundred photos of just faces mm-hmm. in a in a directory on my computer that I can go to, you know, to, um, you know, if I have a, a post mortem photo of somebody, I'll you know try to find another photo of somebody the same race and same approximate age, and it doesn't they don't have to necessarily look that much like the like the deceased person because you know the, mm. the the character of the face doesn't come through when you do this it's just the uh you know the vitality and skin tone and muscle tone that comes through but, are you what are you uh, trying to match up like the the bone structure of the unidentified person with some, a living person on the internet is that kind of the well, pairing that you're trying to find or, or what's what's the criteria just basically the same age race and uh Oh, okay. Gender. It's uh, you know, it's not. As I said, it, if I've done it right, you, you won't look like the mm-hmm. person whose whose photo I used the, the living person. Yeah, that's not. Yeah, that wouldn't be helpful, right? You know, right. Right. So you know, it's it's a matter of just uh, you know, if you take that living person and, and show their photo at you know ninety five percent transparency and overlay it over the over the dead person, then then mm-hmm. you get the vitality from the living person without it looking like the living person. Mm-hmm. So, uh, mm-hmm. so that's basically it in a okay. nutshell. But, okay. What's the uh, time and, frame? And, I know, mean, over the years. Okay. Please, the, please continue, please. Oh, okay. No, 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 that's fine. You said what's the time frame. Yeah, like from the first time you did that first picture, how long did that take? And now these days, of course, now you've done many of them, how has that changed? Has your technique changed since you started? Uh, well, I've, I've learned to do things in layers mm-hmm. and to save my progress. So, you know, if I go down a path and decide I've screwed up, I can go back to a previous uh, step in the process and, you know, without, you know, having to redo the thing entirely. Mm-hmm. So. You know, you can. I can do things in layers. I'll do their hair, one layer for their hair, one layer for their clothing, one layer for, um, you know, say the glasses or whatever. I'll put those on. In Corel Photo Paint mm-hmm. has, you know, does things in objects. Is you know, using their their turn. Um, everything's an object. So, so you you know you do 
20 or 30 different layers over one over the other and and it uh i've learned to do things that way and and that's mm-hmm. very helpful so uh mm-hmm. you know it can take anywhere from you know a couple of hours you know, or to a couple of days depending on you know what i'm starting with i i've also started doing skeletal reconstruction too so it's not just uh you know freshly dead bodies I, i've mm-hmm. been taking skulls and and as a matter of fact, uh, just just yesterday, I completed an image. Uh, it was a man found in a tent up in uh, Pendoreal uh, County in Washington. Uh, he was apparently living in the tent, and uh, the local coroner's office asked me to do a, uh, a reconstruction of the skull they had. Mm. And so I was just completing that. And so I'm fairly happy with what I've come up with this. That has to be probably a whole different level of difficulty compared to. No, oh, did you find that well, to yeah, be a little again, more difficult? You're, again, you're using photos of living people, but mm-hmm. but you still have to follow the integrity of the, the structural integrity from the skull. You can't just drop a, you know, drop a photo of a living person, stretch their features into position, and, and yeah. leave it at that. You, you still have right. to, you know, go point by point on all the points on the skull and. And you have to have a little bit of a knowledge of uh, anatomy and, and muscle, musculature, mm-hmm. and and uh, so mm-hmm. and you still have to do quite a bit of freehand drawing as well. So right, uh, it's, uh, it's a little little more work. There's <laughs> a lot more work yeah. actually for a skull, but it's you know okay. this, this one I did I was able to complete within about a day or two. So. Um, Okay. You know, and and it, it's helpful to know if if there was hair left with the you know at the scene and clothing left with the scene. That's always helpful too. Then much better than up so they just find a, a skull somewhere with no hair, no clothing, or. You know. Now sometimes when you get like for example this one, it's a skull. You can't just eyeball it and know if it's a, a white person or African. Oh yeah, man. you can. No. Okay. Yeah, oh, you can you? Can tell from a skull. Yeah, you can tell tell from a skull the age, gender, and uh, race. It's uh, mm-hmm. you know, different races have very distinctive uh, features, and and you know, like Caucasians tend to have more raised nose, or uh, you know, their nose project more. Uh, hmm. Blacks tend to have a, a projected uh, upper maxilla. I mean, that's there certain. Uh, Mm-hmm. Certain features that are typical of certain races. See, I, I see as a as a layman, and, and I've read up on that. You, you, yeah, you can look at I, I can yeah. look at a skull and pretty instant. I can tell you whether it's male or female pretty pretty quickly, uh, oh, and I can wow. tell you likely what race the person was. Wow, I, I know I couldn't do that. You, I don't think I could. If do you that. look a little closer at it, you can tell probably their their approximate age because the the fusion of the uh, the cranial sutures. You know the the skull is come is made up of different plates. Yes, on the, on the, it's not all one solid all piece. Yeah, yeah. No, they're all fused together. Fused together. And as the person ages, those those uh, sutures disappear. So, uh, you know, if you find a skull with all the with with the cranial sutures all fused together and uh, obliterated, then you can assume the person is much older. A lot older. Uh, if if they don't have wisdom teeth or if their wisdom teeth haven't come out, you know, you can presume they're a certain age range or you know there's there are various features you can look at to, to pinpoint you know a, a 
pretty mm. close, reasonable age range. That's 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 fascinating. Now I know that you pick some of these people out on your own, but if the police come to you and said, "Can you help us out uh, with this?" Well, in the case of Spokane, Washington, they've t- taken notice. Well, there was mm-hmm. one case that I had done on my own of a of a woman in Spokane who had uh, she'd been found in the river and her she was decapitated and her hands and feet were cut off, but uh, they found her body in the river in 1984. And then uh, 14 years later, in 1998, they found her skull in a field, in a uh, field that had been used as a dumping ground, so, uh, or as a garbage dump, I should say. And so, uh, uh, so I had a photo of this skull that they had put on NamUs, and I thought, oh, this, should, this is an interesting case. Let me see. It was interesting particularly because this woman obviously had very unique facial characteristics. She mm. had a... She had a very pointed chin. She had, you could tell from, her teeth were, there were several teeth missing that, that had fallen out, but uh, but you could see from where the sockets were that she had gap teeth. Uh, she had a very, very pronounced underbite. Mm. So, you know, there was some very interesting facial characteristics. Unique, yeah, sure. Decided, yeah, that I decided, okay, let me see if I can, you know, present what this woman looked like in life and I created this image and as it turned out there's a woman now that we're looking at from Blythe, California who looks to be a pretty uh, hopeful wow. match to this woman. Wow. I mean, you know, it's just these very unique facial characteristics, you know, you can see both in the missing woman and, and the unidentified yeah. woman and my facial reconstruction. So. Do you do one photo at a time or do you like Work in various ones at a time, or just one, you know, one at a time. Uh, just one at a time, or or you know, there's sometimes I'll get a few projects going at a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been since you know I've been putting these on my Facebook page and getting a lot of attention on these uh, families of missing persons contact me. I've been getting quite a few, and probably more than I can <laughs> that I mm-hmm. can. Uh, Fulfilled, yeah, yeah, uh, I've yeah. I've been getting requests for people to do age progressions. Uh, I've been doing age progressions as well. So, in addition yeah. to the unidentified decedent uh, uh, facial reconstructions, yeah. I do age progressions as well. And and you know, various family members of missing persons have been contacting me and saying, "Can you do a reconstruction yeah. of my sister or my brother or my son or daughter?" And and so I, you know, if, if I have the time, I've been trying to fulfill those but you get a lot I bet you get quite a few yeah yeah I I do have a quite a few that I or or now I'm having people come to me and say you know my my daughter died at two years old you know in an auto accident and Mm -hmm. uh, I would like to know what she looked like at 18 which she would have looked like at 18 oh my you know those kind of things I'm I kind of resistant to doing because Infants are much harder to age progress than, sure. than say, go starting from somebody who was maybe 18 years old. If their facial structure is already developed uh, with an infant, you know, there's so much, uh, you know, guesswork involved yes. that I, I try not to. Uh, uh, the, the National Center for Missing Exploited Children does age progressions of missing infants or missing children, so mm. you know, I leave it to them to do those to do those types of. Uh, uh, Reconstructions. I've done a. I tried to do it a couple of times, but I, you know, I generally am resistant to uh, 
to taking on those. Yeah, that can be tough. I mean, a six-month-old, a one-year-old. I mean, we all look back at our baby pictures and say, man, I don't look anything like that now. I can't imagine trying to yeah, extrapolate I mean, that out. Yeah. Like, like a nose in particular, you don't, you never, you can't really guess how somebody's nose is going to develop from when they're four years old to when they're, you know, 30 years old. It, you know, it's mostly guesswork. No. So. no, I mean, I look at my baby pictures. I had like really, really blonde hair when I was two or three. Now I have very, it's not black hair, but dark brown hair. I don't know how anybody could ever figure that out. You know, to do an yeah, actual right. picture of me like 40 years later or something. I'm in my 40s. Yeah, and the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children has the equipment, and they they have uh, you know procedures, and they you know they get photos of relatives, and they you know incorporate those into what they do. And you know, I kind of mm. prefer to leave that those types Until of projects to, to them because <laughs> yeah. How do you think that your work goes along with those people who actually do the clay recreations? They have a skull and they put the clay on it. How does your work go in tandem with that? Well, I, you know, I, I've, I've never attempted a, a reconstruction of, a, you know, using clay. I, mm -hmm. all my, almost all my work is done uh, on Corel Photo Paint, you know, using, mm -hmm. using the computer. So, uh I mean, I've seen over the years some people are better at using clay than others. There's some yeah. some facial reconstructions are <laughs> pretty bad, and others are you know pretty good. So, yeah, it's mm. uh, yeah. it's just another technique. You, I mean, obviously you would be biased to the drawing that you're doing on a computer, but I'm guessing there is a place for the clay, the people who do the reconstruction in clay as well. I mean, I, I did have a drawing a class in college or a couple of drawing classes where we did use clay and did con construct faces out of, uh, um, you know, using clay. And I did a little bit of that, but and, but mm -hmm. I'm, <laughs> it's not, not something I, I do no. now or, you know, it would be interesting to attempt it, but it's, you, yeah. know, you need the equipment. You but there are people out there who do fire. that. You do that using skulls, and I just wondered um, how one might be different than the other, the pluses and negatives of one over the other. That's all. That's all I was asking. Well, yeah, with with a skull, you can do everything in three dimensions, so you know you can look at it from any angle, and mm -hmm. and so you have that advantage in that respect. But um, mm -hmm. you know that, so you know that's helpful to be able to you know look at a face from whatever angle you want to, and the right. And the, Clay reconstructions offer that. Obviously, a one-dimensional uh, image doesn't. So, okay, you know, there's an advantage there. But, but I suppose you can work though a lot quicker than somebody can with clay. I mean, if you're telling me you can do one, one of these pictures in a few days, I'm guessing that those people it takes a little longer than a few days to do what they're doing. Yeah, I don't know how long it takes them, but you need equipment and you need to put the you know put the money into buying. A, you know the tools, uh, you know the, the carving tools or the you know the sculpting tools that they use, and the, you have to buy clay and you have to yeah. have an actual physical skull there to uh, to build a face onto. So um, right, it's you know, I, I have none of that. So right, well, hey, Juan, I mean, well, you've had to try. <laughs> Right. to try at some point, but right, and you have some, you and you've had some successes, so there's no reason to change at this point. In fact, let's talk about a couple of those. Um, 
there's this what I'm calling the Spider-Man guy in Brooklyn. Tell the listeners a little bit about that case that you were involved in. Yeah, okay. Well, that, that was a case. There was a young man. There was a doorman at the door and, and uh, tried to stop him, but he ran past the doorman, jumped in the elevator, and went up the elevator. Hmm. And a few moments later, he had fallen from the balcony of, a, I think it was about the 12th floor balcony. So he had either jumped or fell off the, off the balcony. Mm-hmm. The man was uh, six foot eight and weighed about 500 pounds. So he's a very, wow. very unusually large man. Yeah. And, and uh, so there was a postmortem photo of him on NamUs, and, and he was wearing a Spider-Man uh, watch cap, a uh, watch cap with a Spider-Man logo on it. So, uh, so I had, you know, I'd seen that in Namus, and I thought, okay, let me see if I can create a, a facial reconstruction of him. This was back when my skills weren't weren't as good as. Okay, they, so this was in the beginning. Now. in the beginning. Yeah, this was kind of early in my process when I still hadn't really developed, you know, the okay. tools and techniques that I have now. But but I came up with kind of a crude uh, representation of what he looked like. I put a little uh, Brooklyn Bridge in the background just to indicate, okay, this guy was in Brooklyn. And uh, as it turned out, his friends were looking for him. He was from Pennsylvania. He was a man named Ken M. M. Ecker. He had two middle na- two M's as two middle names. Hmm. But his name was Ken M. M. Ecker. And his friends were looking for him. He had left home, said he was, you know, didn't know, didn't, know when he was coming back but he i guess he left upset and his family was worried about him and his friends were worried about him and so they started going online and and looking for a big man you know googling for a big man with a spider-man cap and they came across the web sleuth page and saw my facial reconstruction and said that's him that's that's, oh my. Uh, that's ken oh my. and you know the description left no doubt because he had certain tattoos and and you know, certain jewelry, or you know, he wore, wore a lip ring and or a lip a stud in his lip, a red, uh, a red uh, uh, lip lip stud. And uh, how long did that all the whole process take from this guy falling from this building to you getting his picture to the friends or family notice? Was a how? Of months. How was it was it? maybe a month or two. Uh, yeah, I believe. The web sleuths people were really, you know, kind of interested in the case just because of the unusual nature of the person, mm-hmm. you know, the unusual description of the man himself. But uh, so there, um, I think the discussion was going on for a couple of months before somebody had, you know, somebody who knew him actually stumbled across our our discussion and mm-hmm. you know, knew from the from the unique size of the man and from his tattoos and and everything else that, that it was obviously Ken. How close was oh, your man. artist depiction to pictures you eventually saw of him alive, you know, earlier in his life? They're pretty close. You know, from, from the quality of what the stuff that I do now, I probably could have done a better job on the resemblance. Mm. Uh, you know, there were certain post-mortem effects that I didn't quite, uh, you know, uh, compensate for. So... I mean, using this, my own standards now, I probably look at that and say, oh, that wasn't that good of a, a reconstruction, but it was good enough that the persons recognized him and, and that, 
knew who, I, who it was. And that's the most important part, right? That's yeah. that's what we're looking for. We're not looking for getting an A plus on it. We're getting the goal is to for somebody to recognize the person. Right. right. And the cases where I I have come up with somebody recognizing a person from my drawing, I think mm-hmm. there are three or four instances of that. Mm-hmm. None of them are, you know, three of them that I can think of off the top of my head. The the quality of the quality of the image wasn't mm-hmm. you know, to my current standards. So right. But one, I one other case of a guy uh, who died in a soup kitchen in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And it was probably one of the first ones I'd ever done. I think right after that Philadelphia guy, I tried doing a reconstruction of this guy in the soup kitchen just to try it because it was, I was trying to do more difficult uh, projects to you know, try to see how, how well I could straighten out the features of somebody whose facial expression was you know, badly contorted or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, so I, I just on a whim did that one to see how well I could I could do straightening out the facial features, and and as it turned out, that was another one that went on the the Pennsylvania missing person site, and and the family of the man actually went to the site and recognized him from my drawing. So, you know, and again, looking at the quality of the image that I had done, I had never revised it. So, uh, you know, it was was the original one that I'd done when I wasn't that good at it, but it's still good enough Mm -hmm. to uh, to result in an identification. Well, one picture that I did see that was, I think, very much like the young woman who was found uh, was Tammy Jo Alexander, uh, I I think a a girl that you nicknamed Callie when you were working on it. Tell the listeners about that one. That's one where I think, man, you nailed it. Tell tell the listeners about that one. Yeah, I'd revised that image probably 10 or 15 times over the years. I had started with a post-mortem photo and... You know, when I first did it, I was basically just putting open eyes on, on a lifeless face and, and putting an outfit on her and, and, uh, and you know, maybe straightening out her features a little bit. But I, I didn't you know, do all the work I, had, I would do now today to, mm-hmm. you know, using pictures of living persons or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, but over the years, I, I started developing those, those skills and... and as I said, I revised it probably 10 or 15 times, and, you know, the final version I came up with, uh, uh, by the time she was identified, it, you know, the final version that I had done, I thought came pretty close. I was pretty happy with um, with the resemblance. Her, her sister, you know, probably isn't, you know, she, she has said that she didn't think it looked like her sister, but, um, you know. Well, I, I think it does. I think your picture yeah. does. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, family members are more discerning of... Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> so right. That, that's fine. I, I don't right. take offense. How did, that, how, did all, how did that case all happen? What happened in that case? Well, I, I was... Um, I keep a spreadsheet, and the spreadsheet is probably uh, over 17,000 names now. But, wow. But the spreadsheet takes all the missing persons from all the different sites, and I keep it updated regularly. I, I add new names, and I remove... <laughs> names of resolved cases so mm-hmm. so it's a constant process to keep this spreadsheet uh, current and relevant mm-hmm. and so uh, so you know one day back in 2014 uh, September of 2014 I was adding some names to the spreadsheet and there were I had run a, uh, a query on the name system for new cases and probably came up with maybe five different names 
and initially it was just just names on a spreadsheet. There weren't any photos with them when I when I initially run the when, run the query. I just have text. I don't have photos. So you know I was putting them on my spreadsheet. And I create a link to the name of the page and and then uh, you know I pull them up one by one and, and look at them. And there was one case. Well. There was one case that was from nine. It listed as being from 1977, and the rest were more current. But I looked at this case, and I saw this, you know, this girl who was listed as being 13 at the time of her disappearance. We now know that's incorrect. They they didn't have correct information on the on the mm. Davis page. But uh, but I looked at at this information and said, okay, it's Tammy Joe Alexander. I've never heard of her. Uh, you know, missing from Florida, and I. I, uh, you know, created a link and, and pulled up the Namus page, and as soon as the page came up, I, I looked at the photo and said, Cali, Cali Doe, Cali Doe, there's Cali Doe. And that's a picture you'd, and, you had done before. Uh, yes, it was, yeah. you know, but but my recognition of her was, you know, from having seen that post-mortem photo for, mm. you know, over the years. Yes. And, you know, it was burned in my, my memory what what I thought this girl looked like, and here she is, she shows those up. You know, I, and, and all I, all this time I had been used to just, you know, the visual image of the lifeless face, but now I have this photo of a girl with a smile on her face, and and I'm, you know, I was stunned. I was looking at it, that saying, that's Callie Doe. And then I started pulling, you know, pulling up the postmortem photos and comparing the teeth and comparing the eyebrows and, you know, looking at the, the general facial shape and, you know, all the details and thinking mm-hmm. to myself, you know, that has to be her. And so I went to the, you know, the web sleuth site, and I said, uh, you know, bingo, so I, I think this is Cali, and put the side-by-side on, on web sleuth. And yeah. Then I immediately uh, put together an email and sent it to the Livingston County Sheriff. Yeah. And, you know, put the two photos, the post-mortem photos, side-by-side with um, with the photo of Tommy Joe Alexander, and said, hey, I think these, these are the same person. And, that know, had to be a crazy later, feeling, Carl. I'm telling you, you had to have been... You know, get, freaking out. I know. Yeah, I I know. I would have been over the four months. Over the four months period, you know, you're sitting there waiting, and you're thinking, well, you know, maybe it is. Maybe you start, you know, doubting yourself. But mm-hmm. you know, because I think her sister at one point said that you know she was taller than than the listed height of Kelly Doe. So mm-hmm. you know, there was certain things that you're saying to yourself. Well, maybe it is, and maybe I'm wrong. But because mm-hmm. I've been wrong before on what I thought were obvious matches. Yeah. Uh, but. Uh, but in this case, it turned out January of 2015, the Livingston County Sheriff did a press conference and said, you know, we've identified mm-hmm. our, our Jane Doe from 1979. Her name was Tammy Joe Alexander. I watched it. You know, I, I watched that video online. Yeah, I watched it. <laughs> I watched four, it. Then 4 o'clock in the morning, I'm sitting here in Los Angeles, uh, you know, getting woke up out of bed from reporters in, in New York. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, wanting an interview, and I'm yeah. jumping out of bed saying, you know, wait a second, can you give me a moment to uh, wake up before I do an interview? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Kind of, uh, kind of a hectic uh, situation there for that initial morning. I had all kinds of press people calling me up, and, and you know, in the two years since then, I've been getting all kinds of, you know, interest from various media groups and from CNN and from... Yeah. From the you know KABC affiliate in uh, Los Angeles did a thing just a couple of weeks ago, and you know 
newspapers all over the country. I had a morning drive time uh, talk show, uh, radio talk show. A guy named Brother Weez had me on his talk show, and and I, uh, you know, so. Uh huh. Could you have ever imagined when you? Could you have ever imagined when you started this in 2009 that it would get to this point where you're at sleep at four in the morning and there are reporters in New York calling you? They they want to talk to you. They want to interview you. They want to hear what you do because of this work that you do. You could never imagine that. No, I couldn't have imagined it, and it was an entirely new experience because I'm not particularly uh, you know skilled at uh, doing interviews or. You know, I'm not the smoothest talker in the world, so... You're doing uh, fine here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know, that's not something I've, mm-hmm. you know, been never, never had to do was yeah. deal with media and deal with interviews and, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, be, be presentable on, in, on a national stage. It's, uh, um, it's yeah. quite, quite overwhelming at first, but, uh, you know, as I've getting used to it as the time goes by. I'm kind of surprised that there's still two years later, there's still interest in uh, in this case. And, yeah. And, you know, there's interest in, in the aspect that I'm a forensic artist or an amateur forensic artist. And, and then uh, there's interest in, you know, the Cali Doe case that ties into that. So I guess that makes for an interesting news story. What are some of the things you're working on now? I know that in looking through some of these interviews that you've done, tell the listeners a little bit about Walker County Jane Doe. Well, yeah, that's that's a case that I'm very interested in now, and I have a Facebook page dedicated to to her. Uh, Walker County Jane Doe is a uh, teenage girl, probably approximately the same age as Tammy Joe was. Uh, this was Halloween night, 1980. It was a girl who was hitchhiking, came into a couple of truck stops, asking directions to the men's prison in Huntsville, which is a pretty uh, high, hardcore prison. There's the death row inmates are, at, are housed at that, at that prison, so it's a you know, high-security prison. Hmm. And this, this woman, was, or this young girl, was asking directions to the men's prison, and then the following morning her body was found on a roadside, uh, naked, abused, beaten, uh, hmm. sexually violated, uh, and, you know, mm-hmm. beaten up horribly, and, and for 35 years since then, or was it uh, 36 years since then, she, nobody's been able to figure out who she was, and so this is a uh, very interesting case to me, again, because it, yeah. it involves a young, a young child who you would think would have family members wondering where she is. I, I created a Facebook page and created a few different uh, images to present what, what I think she might have looked like in life. And uh, I've been spreading that Facebook page all over Texas or trying to get it uh, get people all over Texas to, or, or all nationwide, as a matter of fact, to, to mm-hmm. spread the Facebook page around in the hopes that somebody might uh, re- remember who she was. How long have you been working on that? Oh, probably that's, one of the other cases that I initially became interested in in 2009. So it's been like eight years. Eight years. Yeah, so this is the case that just as with Callie Doe, it was one of the other cases that I was very interested in and and have created revisions uh, over the years and improved my my uh, facial reconstruction of her, you know, my initial version of 
Walker County Jane Doe was a pretty crude, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a crude attempt, and and I've developed that and gotten better and better, and, and now to the point where I'm pretty happy with uh, with my the version I have now that I I think I, I'm pretty confident that it properly resembles what she looked like in mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know anything and else I have about? Image. Please tell. Go ahead. Please, please. Yeah, yeah. I have another image that I created. Uh, from a side view post-mortem photo, of, I created another image of her standing on the roadside with her thumb out. And uh, I had a friend of mine with a 10-year-old niece. Uh, I asked her, <laughs> my friend's niece, to stand mm. on my driveway and, and uh, wear a sweater and hold her thumb out. So I, I used the picture of my friend's niece uh, uh, holding her thumb out there so to, to incorporate into the image. And uh, so... Is that how, how is that how young you think this this uh, Walker County Jane Doe no, is? But, you know, it's, uh, I couldn't use my own hand because right. I have a male hand. Uh, so, uh, right. You know, a ten-year-old girl's hand mm. is not mm. that much uh, different from a fifteen-year-old girl's hand. It's, mm-hmm. You know, it's pretty similar. So, or similar enough that you know <laughs> nobody would know yeah. the difference. So. Well, that certainly sounds like a case that you know, could be solved. I mean, how many young girls can be looking for a prison. I mean, you know, that's yeah, one of those I mean, cases you'd think 30-some years later somebody would have figured it out. That's a little... Yeah, we did have somebody come forward with a photo of a girl that he had met in a, when he was, uh, was a brother and sister. There was a brother and sister came forward, and they, they had said, uh, you know, she reminds me of a girl that we met when we were 10 and 12 years old. The brother and sister were 10 years old and 12 years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they were staying at a motel with their parents, and for a couple of days they were at this motel in Texas, and they became friends with this girl in a motel. And all they remember was the girl's name was Kathy or Katie or some variation thereof. And, you know, the story about Walker County Jean Doe very closely corresponded to the story about Kathy, that, as Kathy had explained to them uh, herself. So... Mm-hmm. She, you know, she said she was a runaway from Corpus Christi, and uh, that, you know, she was, she had told the brother that she had a friend in prison, and she said the prison was the Sugarland prison, not the Huntsville prison, but not the Ellis prison, but, uh, mm-hmm. but she said she had a friend who was in prison. So, and she kind of resembles my drawing, not perfectly, but closely enough that, you know, I'm thinking, okay, there's. Now, I can see certain features are are very similar, and what isn't similar might be explainable by the you know postmortem effect. So, mm-hmm. uh, so we've been trying to figure out who this girl Kathy is, and that's you know part of the discussion on on that Facebook page as well. So, one mm-hmm. is trying to figure out who Walker County Jane Doe is, and you know if it's not Kathy, then who is Kathy? <laughs> yeah, it's it's like one mystery leads to another mystery that leads to another mystery. Yeah. That's how sometimes. Yeah. Uh, there's a listener of mine who likes to talk about how she goes down rabbit holes and this, you know, that's like what it's like. You go down one rabbit hole and then suddenly you're going down another one regarding the same case. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah you know, one rabbit hole leads to another. So. Yes. Yes. And that, that's the nature of these things. You yeah, know, it is. You get involved in one mystery and it leads you to another mystery. So, yeah. Uh, well, if people wanted to see your work and uh, try to help you, obviously, with this case we just talked about or anything else that you're working on, where would my listeners be able to find you uh, on the Internet if they want to help you out, they want to see your work? Maybe some of them are listening and 
they have somebody that they're trying to find that, you know, they want to send a picture to you or something. Where, where can people find oh, you? I, I, my Facebook page is uh, it's accessible to all. It's, uh, you know, my name is Carl Koppelman. That's spelled K-O-P-P-E-L-M-A-N. Mm-hmm. First name Carl for the C's, and, and I'm the only person with that name in the country, so there's no difficulty in finding my Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, on, you know, the Web Sleuths page, there's uh, the Unidentified Forum on the Web Sleuths page. Mm-hmm. Are you, do you feel comfortable giving out your username there? Uh, yes, I'm Carl K nine zero two four five. Okay. Great. Five being zip code in El Segundo, California. So mm-hmm. uh, everybody knows who I am. There's I I make it no secret who I you know my true identity. I, okay. Um, I'm ever pretty well known who Carl K nine zero two four five is. So. Right. And yeah. do you have? A, did you say you have a page for this? Um, Walker County Jane Doe yeah, as well. If you, if, if you go to uh, Facebook and you look up who was Walker County Jane Doe, that was, mm. that's the name of the Facebook page. It's who okay. was Walker County Jane Doe. Okay. Great. So. Uh, anything else, Carl? Anything else? The listeners should know that I need to thank, on this year, I need to thank Kathy Turkanian, who was a guest on a previous yeah, episode. Yeah, we never got to that discussion, but that's a whole other... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> we well, I'll, I'll have to have you on. on I guess we'll have to have you on again, which I would absolutely love. But it was Kathy Turkanian, who, of course, uh, is still uh, looking for answers regarding the, the disappearance of her daughter, her biological daughter, uh, yes. from 1989. And, so. Yeah, and Kathy and I, three times now, have gone to Michigan to, uh, to try to find answers in that case. Yeah. You know, we've found all kinds of interesting stuff, and and if the people want to follow that page, there's uh, you know, find Andrea yeah. at home and another Facebook page that right. we're involved with. So, but uh, Carl, I appreciate you coming on, uh, kind of at a little bit of short notice, but I think the listeners yeah. really enjoyed listening to that. Somebody, just a regular person, getting involved, using their talents and skills, and you've actually solved some mysteries out there. I give you all the credit in the world. Yeah, and thank you very much. I'm glad to talk to you. And if you want to have another discussion about the Andrea Bowman case, or we can do that case, somewhere down the road. I'd yeah, love to. Yeah, we can do that some other time. That's uh, sure. I'd be glad to do it. Sure. Okay. Carl, thank you for being on this episode of Unfound. Okay, thank you. Have a good day. And that was my interview with Carl Koppelman. Such a great guy. What a great personality. I know he made a joke during the interview about not being used to talking to people and doing interviews. And I guess you could say that he was thrust into the spotlight because of his work uh, very quickly, I guess. Uh, But I think he's a great interview. I think he did a great job. He's a great speaker, interesting, uh, friendly, funny, and he's doing great work. And he makes it seem so easy. I know it's not. Uh, I I have no artistic skills whatsoever when it comes to drawing. So whatever he is doing, it's like rocket science to me. And I know it's it's difficult. And he's getting results. And he makes it sound so easy. Once again, I know it's not. But I hope listening to him, you understand how he's just a regular guy, just using his talents and skills, and it's turned into something that is really, really good. And I want to assure all of you that you can do the same thing. I'm hoping kind of that 
Maybe you can get involved with this Walker County Jane Doe case. Maybe you can help Carl out on that one, being that he's been working on it for a while. I think some of the listeners of Unfound would like to assist him. Now that you've gotten to know him and you get to hear his passion for solving these cases. And so we've come to the end of the show. Once again, I'd like to thank Kathy Turkanian for telling me about Carl and how he would be a great interview. Kathy, you were exactly right. If you enjoyed this show, I urge you right now to go to iTunes and give Unfound a nice review. Would appreciate it. I'm Ed Denzel, and you've been listening to Unfound.